0: Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Whatever else you may think about current events, I think it's true to say that most American Christians no longer recognize the culture of America. Now, we could go on and on talking back and forth about this. When did the culture start to shift? What were the impulses that caused it? Where do we go from here? How do we engage with this completely foreign culture? And those are all valid and important questions. I grew up during what was called the culture wars. At that time, there was a push from within American Christianity to return to the national culture, to uh, a Christian culture. Now, it's highly debatable whether any such culture ever existed in America. The American version of Christianity has always been unique, not only in the world, but in the history of Christianity. And I'm not going to open up a debate about American Christianity. The culture wars were an attempt to rein in non-Christian beliefs and lifestyles within that larger culture. And they failed. The cultural shift began decades ago is continuing to shift away from what Orthodox Christians would recognize as a Christian culture. And whether you think that's good or bad, It's irrelevant. If we're going to be at all honest, we have to admit at least that this is true. So the question that's left to us is this, what do we do now? How do we live in the midst of a broadly pagan culture? How do we move forward from this point? Obviously, some folks are unwilling to admit an end to the culture war, and they're going to continue having those same conversations, though increasingly those conversations will be only amongst themselves. Interestingly, a new discussion has begun to surface in the last decade or so. It's come up more recently through the work of a journalist and author whose name was Rod Dreher. Mr. Dreher points out that the basic conflict between Orthodox Christianity and American popular culture is radical, by which he means they are entirely distinct and that the difference between them is insurmountable. For a long time, we've imagined that Christianity would transform the other. But what actually happened was the reverse. It was popular Christian culture that was changed. Mr. Dreer now advocates for what he calls the Benedict Option. He came across the life of Saint Benedict, and he was struck by the saint's response to a similar culture war in his own time. And rather than spending his time and energy and resources in a struggle against the world around him, Saint Benedict stepped away to live out an authentic Christianity apart from the world. And an amazing thing happened. People began to follow him. Benedict gathered other men and women to work and to pray and their movement spread over the whole world, birthing a new tradition which continues to this day, a tradition that is represented by some men and women who are in our own parish. Now, the so-called Benedict Option has many critics, and I'm not gonna go into all of the various details. That's, That's not what we're here to talk about today. If you distill it down to its essence, the Benedict Option is an invitation for Christian communities to begin to see themselves as islands of faith in exile from the dominant culture. This means a deep commitment to formation within our own community. It means being intentional and critical when interacting with the broader culture. It means living out our own practices and customs, really genuinely living our own Communities, culture." Really, this isn't the Benedict option. Mr. Dreher points that out. It's just the monastic option or monastic options. There are many different ways that Christian leaders and communities have lived as exiles in and amongst their pagan neighbors throughout the history of Christianity. So there is the Benedict option, a house of brothers who gather together for prayer, but there's also the Francis option, beggars and servants who become fools for God. And there's the Anthony option, the pursuit of holiness in solitude and silence. There's the Patrick option, freeing slaves and confronting kings and sorcerers in the halls of their power. And then there's the Aidan option. St. Aidan's experience is remarkably similar to our own. Christianity had flourished in England at the end of the Roman Empire, but as Rome began to crumble, a new mass migration of cultures occurred. It was largely peaceful, but these new cultures, the Angles and the Danes and the Jutes and the Saxons, Germanic tribes from across northern Europe, brought with them their own cultures, their own traditions, and their own faith. And by the beginning of the 7th century, Christianity in England was limited to a handful of enclaves in the south and in the west. A Saxon king in northern England called out to the Celtic monks who lived on the island of Iona, begging them to send him a missionary. And the man they finally sent was named Aidan. They expected that someone would come and would serve the king, and through him the king would be able to consolidate his power by converting his people to a new faith. But when Saint Aidan arrived, he left the king's palace behind and he sailed with his twelve monks to a tidal island, where they built communal houses and began to worship. What they didn't build were walls. St. Aidan's biographer, Bede, describes his work this way. He traveled through the towns and the countryside on foot, never on horseback, and wherever he met people, rich or poor, he would invite them, if pagans, to hear of the saving faith in Jesus Christ, or if Christians, to continue in almsgiving and good works. Now, I don't want you to get into your head that he was just an itinerant preacher. St. Bede is quick to point out that all those in his community on the Isle of Lindisfarne, whether monks or lay people, were always reading scripture and memorizing psalms and praying together. Their example was so powerful that Christians throughout the region began to copy them. Reading and praying and studying and fasting... Aidan was known to take money from rich men and women and use it to free slaves and the wrongly imprisoned, many of whom would later join the monks at Lindisfarne and then go on to establish similar communities throughout England. Long after his death, people still spoke of his love and charity, his chastity and humility, his opposition to anger, to greed, to pride and vainglory, to zeal for keeping and teaching the scriptures, his steadfastness in prayer and study, his pastoral heart in calling the rich to repentance and good works, and the poor and oppressed to hope and faith. For so long we have invested our time and our energy and our resources in trying to stop the culture around us from changing. But we didn't stop to ask why it was changing. We didn't pause to contemplate where it all began. We reacted, and we fought, and we struggled, and we lost. We lost our time, we spent our energy, we squandered our resources, and now we look at a, at a landscape around us, culturally speaking, that is shockingly similar to the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms of 7th century England. The high places are controlled by those of different faith. Oppression and servitude are the currency of the land. Life is cheap. But Aidan didn't go out to change the culture. Neither did Benedict or Francis or Anthony or Patrick. What they did was live out an authentic, orthodox Christian life. They knew their cultures, both Christian and otherwise, were really just... Paganism in a different mask. So they held to the Christian faith. They worked and they prayed and they taught and they read. And that should give us pause and it should fill us with hope. We're not called to change our culture, we're called to live faithful lives of holiness and peace, not wasting precious energy and resources in converting the culture. Instead, investing our whole selves in following in the footsteps of the saints as they follow in the footsteps of the apostles, as they follow in the footsteps of our Lord. That is our hope. That is our calling. Let us follow Saint Aidan as he follows Christ. Let us speak truth and comfort to every person we meet. Let us live together in a faithful community where we pray and study and repent and worship. Let us call out those who use their resources for oppression and be a means of comfort and freedom to the lonely and the forgotten. Let each of our homes, each of our churches, become a new Lindisfarne. Not so that we can change the culture in our towns and states, and country, but so that we can become the means through which our neighbors encounter the living God of the Bible who is revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is our hope. That is our calling. Lord, give us the strength to follow where you lead us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.